I am the might before the sword, the tremors and the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, Sagomatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for, I am the word. I emerge deciduous from the wetlands of your cries, rise through the moments you wake. I bring the dawns that shake the fevers from your remembrance. I am here, I am imminent. I am he who crosses the plains through which you strayed. Discover the parts extinction seared. I dust away the dried remains of tears. Drain the lakes of your regrets. I wet the wells, till the soil, placate the toil, quell the rages, sow the broken pages with my belief in you. I bring the you you have never quite met. I am the desire that keeps your pillow wet. I am the heartbeat you seek when you chase after dreams. In the reachings and sighs, you are looking for me. In the body touching body, it is me you seek. In the groans and the longings, it is me you seek. In the yearning dream, in the need to be seen. In the love me, love me, it is me you seek. In the breath drop wonders, gasping hunger. In the touch of a stranger that makes you feel younger in the books and the fables in the this is me labels in the is this me is this me in the hear me hear me say my name in the touch me find me need me find me in the aching pain in the love the music the beats the taste in the heat and the need and the need for embrace in the color the gaze the meaning the desire in the flame of the voice and the spirit of the fire when you cry for more my name you weep i am he who waits for you to reach i reach for you and wait when you lie half broken and awake i am the watchman of your sleep i wait and wait till the shakings cease i am the truth they call release when the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you seek. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's everything that we need and more. But we seek and we seek and we look for something else something that will never live up.
when all of the time it was him the whole time that our hearts did seek. Today I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to talk to you about my king. I want to talk to you about how do we get to the place to where everything in our life is filled up full to the brim and running over with Jesus Christ who is life. How do we get to the place to where we can be destroyed but never misplaced because Jesus Christ has us right there, right there, holding us tight. The series that we're going to start next week, but really, I mean, you may as well say we're going to start it this week because the sermon that I want to preach to you today is really what opened me up to to everything that I want to show you in the next probably about eight to ten weeks that we'll be doing the next level series and and I believe in my soul that this is this is the service that I'm most I mean the series that I'm most confident in that that the Lord is 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 really pressed on to me that I cannot wait to share with you and the whole premise behind the whole thing is to help you to get to another level in your understanding of the Bible, in your understanding of how important the Bible is, your understanding of how to read it and how to um, uh, interpret the Bible and how to implement it into your life. Because without the Word of God, we really have nothing to hold on to. It is the truth that has set us free, but that truth is not a, it's not a truth that is that is subjective. It's not a truth that is just, you know, it's out there, you can take it or you can't. It's a truth that is objective and it, and it is transcendent above us all. And it's not just words in a book, but it is flesh. It is flesh and blood and bones. And Jesus Christ said, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I want you to understand your Bibles more. And some of you are new believers. Some of you are believers that you've been proclaimed believers for a really long time, but you've never really went in depth in your Bible study. And sometimes my wife gets on to me and she says that I expect too much out of people, uh, that, that I would expect them to be theologians. And um, I understand what, what she means by that. And sometimes I push you know, pretty hard, but at the same time, we should all be theologians on some level. We should all be seeking to have a greater understanding of who God is and how his work is completed throughout history and what that means for us. You should be growing in your biblical language and you should be growing in your understanding of how the, how the testaments work together. Which one's good, which one's bad, or both good? How, how, why should we believe? How do they work together? What does that mean? I don't understand it when I read all of those laws and rituals and sacrifices. I don't get that stuff. And so today, I want to start to help you to understand and and, you know for two years now I've tried my best to preach the Bible and preach the Bible and preach the Bible and go deeper and I know that I have to understand my audience as well as a preacher I want you to know that I've never I went to I went to North Greenville University and I was in school for a long time eight years it took me to do a four-year degree but because I did halftime because I was working and I was and I was raising my family and I was doing all that stuff so I I finished in exactly halftime but that whole time I took theology classes and systematic theology and I did uh, counseling classes and hermeneutics and all these kind of things but I never had a class on how to preach so I have to I have to learn I have to 
learn, okay, God, how, to, how do I give this information to those that you have placed under my care in a way that they can understand and a way that they can grow and a way that they can go to the next level? And so one of my biggest challenges every week is taking and reading. And I can, I can read and I can dig into the Word of God, but how do I take that Word now and make it apl- understandable and applicable to your life, but also to challenge you and take you to the next level? Because if I'm just up here preaching, hey, Jesus loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, come down here and get saved, that's all well and fine, that's good. Somebody might come, somebody might get saved. But what about those of you who are sitting here saying, I've heard that already, sharpen me, brother, sharpen me. So I'm going to, I want you to hold on and I'm going to need some commitment for you because we're going to get down. Okay. Everybody say that. Say, we're going to get down. We're going to get down. We're going to go deeper. We're going to go, we're going to hit the next level. This verse by him, through him, for him comes out of the book of Colossians. And it says that everything that was created was created by him. And it was created through him. And it was created for him. And what this is essentially is the center mark or the premise of this whole series is that I want to show you that everything centers on the one man, the God man, Jesus Christ. And I want to hopefully show you how to get into the Old Testament, how it relates to the New Testament. We will preach Old Testament and New Testament in the next eight or ten weeks, but I want to show you every single time how that, that text is all about Jesus Christ, okay? There are a couple things that I have to do. I have to, number one, I have to preach the meaning of the text. If I'm standing up here, this is how, if you want to grade me, if you want to gauge me, or any other preacher, any other preacher, okay, that preacher's responsibility is to preach the meaning of the text, I have to find the meaning of the text that that author meant to convey to his audience, okay? The second thing I have to do is I have to show you the ultimate meaning of the text, which is how it points and relates to Jesus Christ because we know from the Bible that the whole Bible is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And then the third thing that I need to do is I need to, under, I have, I need to help you understand how that is significant to you, Okay? If you're ever listening to a sermon, that's the three things that have to happen. We need to understand the original meaning of the text, the ultimate meaning of the text, and how that applies to me, okay? So let's get into there, and what I want you to do today is we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 17. I want to pray over it, and what I want you to do is I want you to to do a couple of things as we read. What's the meaning, where is Jesus, and where am I? You see that? Those are the questions. You see, I normally do three points every week, and that's not because I was taught in homiletics that you do a three-point sermon because three-point sermons are actually working. You lose people after that. That's not why I do that, okay? Some people might. I don't. I do three points because I'm trying to do three things. I'm trying to show you the meaning. I'm trying to show you Jesus, and I'm trying to show you you. You understand that? So that's what we're going to do today. As you read the Bible, this is what I do when I read the Bible. As you read the Bible, you need to go to the Bible, and you, you need to read, and you need to say, what does this say? What does this mean? Okay, not what does this mean for me? What could this mean? But what does this mean? What did the author mean to say? Where is Jesus and where am I? I think a lot of times we do that even unknowingly, but a lot of the times we think we are the wrong one. Okay, we talked about that and this is very exciting to me. I'm so pumped. Can you do it? Okay, all right, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you are here. I know that you are here. Uh, I've I've felt you since I walked in the door and tears was in my eyes. And Lord, I know that your people are here. And Lord, I know that I have been hard on them from time to time. I've been hard on me from time to time. But this morning, 
I'm thankful that you have breathed a, fre- a, bre- a breath of fresh air into me, that you have reminded me that I have brothers and sisters in this room right now, that they want to know you just as much as I do. They want to see your word, and they want to see it unfold, and they want to see it birth the reality of Jesus. They want to see it melted deep down into their hearts and mixed into their own language that they would live and eat and breathe out the word of God because it is Jesus. I pray that you would tear down the walls that we have built around our minds and our hearts, that you would tear down the prideful barriers that keep us from understanding the true meaning of the text, that you would help us to tear apart every self-righteous and and self-exalting thing that we have in our minds that would keep us from the word, even when we leave here today. God, I pray that you would murder our televisions, that you would murder our hobbies if they come in the way of understanding you through your word and through prayer and through fasting and through seeking. Jesus, make us true followers. Take us to the next level. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get into the Word of God. All right, we're looking at Exodus chapter 17, and actually this came out of a conversation I had. I've been working on this for a long time now, but exactly where I was going to go today, I had another plan, but I was over at uh, Wes and Christina's house over there. We had several other friends over, and we were just talking and talking. was talking about the series and talking about where it was coming from, and, and I was explaining where this whole kind of thought pattern originated in my soul. It actually, to me, it was like a revelation, okay? I've, I've, I've read the Bible for years, years now. I, I went to Fairview Baptist Church for about 12 years. Uh, eight of those years, I was in school studying and searching. And when the Lord changed my life, he put this fire on me. I can't take any credit for it because before that, I was smoking weed and drinking and, and doing all kind of stuff that I shouldn't have been doing, you know, doing drugs, out partying, fighting. But when he changed my life, he... he actually really changed my life and I was just as excited about God and ferocious about the Bible as I was about that lifestyle when I changed. My wife told me, said, uh, when, I, when I switched over that, you know, I was all out both ways. I was all out for that partying lifestyle and then I was all out for Christ and, and I was excited. I was excited. So I dug and I dug and I dug. So I've read the Bible for years and I've read the Old Testament. I've read the New Testament. But every time I'd ever heard a sermon, I listened to a bunch of sermons too. I hope that you do that too. You, any, you're driving. You need to be listening to worship music. You need to be listening to sermons. You need to be listening to all this kind of stuff to build up your soul, to see Christ more and more and more every day. Don't waste time, guys. We only have so many minutes per day. Don't waste time. You know, I, I like, you know, Rock 101. You know, that's whatever, you know, that's okay. Why waste time, though? I see that as an opportunity to get closer to Christ. I mean, try listening to, you know, Hell's Bells going, Jesus. It's kind of rough. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't really work. It doesn't really mesh together. So, you know, country music, that's a, whatever. You know, I'm not saying country music sells a devil, you know. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, is that redeem the time. Redeem the time. Turn on worship music in your car, not because you're a Christian, you're supposed to listen to only Christian music. No, 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 no. Because we, we're Christians and we love Jesus and we want to hear about him every minute of every day. Because we're sinful human beings and if we're not continually reminded, we often veer left or veer right, right? All right, so put Jesus in front of you every single day. And so as, I, as I'm reading the Bible and as I'm understanding scriptures and as I'm going after him, the bottom line was is I was trying to understand how, how, do, I, how do I understand the Old Testament? You know, everything that I I've ever heard is it's kind of like you know this is why this Old Testament story exists and and this is how you are to take that story and implement it into your life and 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 one day I had a revelation 
I was sitting at my desk, and I don't know how much of this will kind of bleed over into this, but I want to tell you real quick why I'm preaching this sermon today. Is that you always hear, how many of you believe that the, Jesus, that the Bible is all about Jesus? How many of you have a hard time understanding how that works when you read Old Testament? Tough. It's tough. Because you just don't hear it much. You don't hear it much, and I don't know why, and I'm not saying I'm a better preacher. All I'm saying is, is I'm trying to put it in. I'm trying to show it. I'm trying to bring it out, and I pray that everybody else is too, but this is what I, this is what I saw one day. This is going to hit me in the face, exalt Jesus Christ, and change everything in my life of how I preach. Now, I told this story the other night, and it's actually what God led me this, this direction for. We're going to get in. Let me go ahead and read the story. First of all, did I already pray? I already prayed. So let's go ahead and read. Let's go ahead and read the Bible. We'll pray like two or three more times. I don't care. Let's go ahead and read the Bible. All right. And then I want to tell you this story, and then I'm going to go down. I'm going to break down the text, and we're going to walk through it. Okay. We've actually read the uh, verses right before this, and we actually preached a sermon on it. If you'll remember uh, this this word right here in in verse seven, you don't have to go to verse seven, but in verse seven it says, "And he called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us?'" If you remember, they were coming out of the coming out of Egypt. They were in the Exodus. They were in the desert. They were complaining, "Why didn't we even come out of Egypt? We had food there. We had water there. Look at this. Well, God's not even here." And you remember, He rained down bread from heaven. He, he rained down the manna and they ate it till they were throwing up and he hit the rock and he struck the rock and water came out of the rock and they drank and they drank and they drank but they were testing the Lord continually testing him, testing him, testing him and if you remember we looked in Joshua chapter 1 and it was Joshua that was going to go into the land because of the people and Moses wasn't even going to get to go into the land because of the sins of the people it wasn't even Moses' sin it was the sins of the people because those people sinned Moses didn't get to go in if you remember we talked about Joshua was going to be the reason that they inherited the land. You remember that? You are going to cause this people to inherit the land. And we looked at several different things surrounding that. I say that to give you a little context because that's where we are in the story. We are coming uh, out of that wilderness spot or, or right at, the, right at the, the back end of it. They have just eat the bread. They have tested God. And this is the first battle. This is the first attack that God brings on to them, that God allows to happen, however you like to use the language. That's where we are. Listen to this. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel and at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill uh, with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held his hands up, held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears, it, recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So here we are. They're coming out of the wilderness. They're coming out of Egypt into the wilderness. They have been testing God, crying out, God, why have you done this? Why have you done that? He has supplied everything that they need, but they're still whining. They're still whining. So then he allows this attack to come. So Amalek comes and he attacks Israel. And he's overwhelming them. And he's, 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 he's bringing death to the Israelites. He's bringing death to the Israelites. And we're in this place to where God says, he tells Moses, he said, lead Josh, tell Joshua to take some men, choose some men. Notice he didn't say take the whole army. He said, choose for us some men and go over and fight with Amalek. I am going the other way up the hill and I'm going up to the top of the hill. I'm gonna hold up the staff, okay? And as I hold up the staff, you're going to be victorious. But if I lower the staff, you're not gonna be victorious and you're gonna be overwhelmed. And so he goes up, he holds up the staff, his arms grow tired, he starts to lower the staff. Aaron and her come alongside of him, they put a rock up under him, set him on the rock. They say, we got you, brother. And they grab, one of them grabs one arm, one of them grabs the other. They hold it up and they all work together and the, the team's victorious, okay? Well, as I was preparing, I preached this same text probably 10 years ago. I don't know, it was a while back in my, uh, my stint at Fairview, my my. Uh, I was preaching there on Sunday nights. Chuck with the chop. Praise God for Chuck. He was one of the people who was most influential in my life. He gave me pulpit time more than any other preacher I'd ever heard of giving a young pastor or a young preacher pulpit time. And I was sitting preparing this sermon. Okay, and, I, and if you know me, you'll know I'm kind of, of a cocky guy. You know, I try not to be, and I'll admit it firsthand that pride's one of the things I deal with. You know, I try to, I try to do that and. And Heather says, you seem kind of cocky today. I said, I thought I was confident. She said, there's a, there's a little line right there that you can, you can cross from time to time. So I don't mean to be that way, but sometimes, I won't even say that sometimes it seems that way. Sometimes I know I struggle with that. And so as I was preparing, and I had the same problem then, even worse. As a matter of fact, the, the jobs, I'm, I, my gifts are the gifts of leadership and the gifts of vision. And so a lot of times that hurts me if I'm not in the place of authority. Because I have, I've been told I have a problem with authority. I'll tell you a little quick story. I used to be an electrician. And uh, if you've ever known anything about electrical work, there are people who are on the floor and there are people who are under the house. And the people who are under the house are called runners. And so they have to, I'll stick a wire down up top and they'll run it over and stick it up somewhere else, okay? And for two years I was under that house. Two years I was under that house on my hands and knees bleeding and in places that would make you go. I was, I remember this and I'm kind of off subject, but this is going somewhere. I was under this one house, it was a remodel and they had built a floor over, a, a, over an existing garage. And I was about the same size I am now, maybe a little bit bigger, and I had to go up under this garage between the new floor and the garage, concrete garage floor, and it was about that big, okay? So I'm, and I had to, what am I gonna do? I'm under authority, they're telling me to go, I'm gonna lose my job or I'm gonna go. So I'm going, <laughs> and I get about three quarters of the way in, and I'm like, <laughs> you, know, I can't get out. you know, I should have had a rope around my feet, pull, you know what I'm saying? But I was freaking out, okay? I was the underneath man for a long time. Well, I learned more and I learned more and I learned more. I learned how to wire a house, a residential house. I could do that, I could put the paneling, I could do all the things. So after, after a while, I got to be up top and I got my own van and I was the one leading the crew. Well, we hired this new guy and he had 12 years experience. Now, I only had two, but I had been at this company for two years, okay? 
So he hired this new guy, he's a lot older than me, 12 years experience, knew what he was doing, and he puts him on my crew and uh, we, we take off. Well, the boss gets to the job about two hours later and I've got the 12-year guy under the house and I'm running him. And the guy looks at me, the boss, the head boss of everything, he looks at me and says, why is he under there? He's got 12 years experience. I said, yeah, but I've been here two years. <laughs> He said, you got a problem with authority. Hey, I've earned that spot here. You know what I'm saying? So I say all that to say this, is that I'm sitting here, pre I'm sitting here preparing this sermon. And as I'm reading this story, I'm reading this story, and I'm gonna be honest with you right now, okay? I'm gonna be honest with you. I felt like if my old pastor would turn the realm over to me that I could do better at the church. Pride, arrogance. If he would let me do it, then... I could take it to the next level. And as I was sitting there doing that sermon, preparing the word of God to give to the people, I'm sitting here reading and I started to pray. And I said, Lord God, please hold my hands up like Moses so that we can win this victory. Please God, hold my hands up while I'm overlooking these people so that they could win the victory. And the Lord smacked me right in the mouth. And he said, why do you think that you're Moses? Why do you think that you're Moses? And tears started to flow down my face. And I said, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Then I started to pray again. And I said, Lord God, please. And Chuck came to mind because I'm under Chuck's authority. That's the uh, pastor at Fairview. Love Chuck. And I, and I started to, to, to rearrange my prayer. And I said, oh, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I said, please, God, help me to hold Chuck's hands up. And he, he, he hit me again. He said, why do you think you have to be named in this story? Who do you think you are? And it was, I don't know how many of you believe in visions. I don't know if I just passed out for a second or if the Lord gave me a vision. But in my mind... He took me to a place and I was on the battlefield under the hill. I was on the battlefield and I was in hand-to-hand -hand combat going to war and nobody ever said my name. How many times do we think we gotta be named? How many times have you read David and Goliath and you think you're David? How many times have you read Abraham and Isaac and you think you're Abraham? How many times have you read Noah escaping the flood and you think you're Noah? How many times have you thought that you were the main character? How many times have I thought that I was the main character? How many of you in the room today are okay with being the nameless soldier who dies in the name of the Lord? Until we get to that place, until we get to that place, you can forget being effective ministers for the Lord Jesus Christ. We better learn how to follow if we ever want to lead. And that was what changed, it started to change how I ever even read the Old Testament. It changed my heart, it transformed my heart. And my, my prayer began to be, please God help me to be okay being a nameless soldier. And it helped me to realize that Chuck wasn't Moses either. We will see who it is today. Can't wait. All right. Number one, let's get in this thing together. 
Then Amalek, let's go back, read a little bit more. Then Amalek, we're in verse eight. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him. That will be very important. So Joshua did as Moses told him. Can we bring the lights up in the auditorium a little bit so that these guys can see their Bibles? There you go. Uh, so Joshua did what Moses told him. That'll be very important. Uh, and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it with Aaron and Hur. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Okay, first thing I want you to see is, is that there is clearly God-given distinctions between roles. There are clearly God-given distinctions between the roles. You see, Joshua did as Moses told him. You see, all the time, we want to complain about what role we have. That was what I was doing when I was at Fairview. And I'll tell you right now, God never released me to plant this church until I was okay with the role that I had there. And my ministry there was never successful until I learned how to follow instead of desiring to lead all the time. You see, if we're always looking at the role that we have, but then really looking at the role of someone else going, I wish I was over there. You can never be who you need to be here if your desire is to be over there. Hambone always says you need to bloom where you planted. I like that. That's what he used to tell me at Fairview. I would go to Hambone, who was much wiser than me and still is. I'd go to Hambone and I'd say, I'm having a struggle here. I, I, I see this being done wrong. I see this being, I could do this a different way and we would grow. I see this, I see this, I see this. He says, I, said, I don't know where God's supposed to take me. I don't know where I'm supposed to be. But you know what I was failing to do? Is realize that God's got me where I'm at to do something where I'm at. And one day he may lead you to where you're supposed to go, but you need to do what you need to do where you're at. And Hambone would tell me, say, son, be patient. Do what you're supposed to do where you are, bloom where you're planted. But I couldn't see that because I had a vision. I had a vision. I was ready to go. And God said, but what you don't realize is, is that until you're ready to go, you can't go. You see, we all have distinctions in our roles. And in this story, there's clear distinctions in roles. It says that, that uh, Moses told Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. You see, Joshua did as Moses said. He was in authority under Moses. He heard Moses speak, and he did what Moses said to do. There's distinctions and roles in this church. There's roles in our society. There's roles in your house. There's roles at your work. There's roles all around you. And the question that you have to ask is, am I okay being who I am within this role? And let me tell you this, and we're going to get to here in just a second, but if you're not okay with your role, you're going to kill everything because you're not doing your part. You see, Joshua's really doing, as God said, one of the primary problems that we have with the roles is the problem with authority, which is what I told you that I struggle with from time to time. And it's been a big struggle for me over the years. I've always been a rebel. I've always been a rebel. I always wanted to do what I wasn't supposed to do. I always wanted to do what was on the edge. I always wanted to push the envelope. I've always had a problem with authority. I've always stretched just as much. Ask my high school football coach. I think he's halfway bald now because of me. 
Isn't that right, Mickey? <laughs> you see, I've always wanted to do that. Well, if, if that happens, how, how do you know? How do you know if what you are doing is what God is wanting you to do? You know it's not. And Joshua understood as he was up under the authority of Moses that he wasn't just under the authority of Moses, but he was under the authority of God. You see, half the problem, half the battle is being okay with being in the role under the authority of the person you're under. We all have problems with those people who are over us. We can if we look hard enough. And we can say, I shouldn't lead them because of this, 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 and this. They have this sin, or they have this problem, or they have this, or they have that. But we just look right past our problems to look at theirs. We look right past our problems. I want to give you a few supporting verses here. Uh, turn with, well, you don't have to turn. You can put it up there. If, I don't know if these guys might be quick enough on the draw. Hebrews uh, chapter 13. Anyway, I'll read this to you, and you can turn with me if, uh, if you would like. Hebrews chapter 13, 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. To the, as those who would have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I can't get off on that whole verse and preach everything that's there, but the bottom line is it said, fall up under that authority and make it a pleasure for those who are leading you. So many times we fight against that authority and everybody's unhappy because you won't do your role or because I won't do my role. If they're not doing what they're supposed to do, leave it in God's hands knowing that God is the one who is orchestrating it all and everyone will answer to him in the end. Just do what God has called you to do. Be at peace with where you are, knowing that Christ is your satisfaction and fulfillment. It's not the job. It's not the, the church building. It's not the structure. It's not the government. Jesus Christ is your fulfillment. If you can be happy in Christ, you can be happy in anywhere, though they take advantage of you, though they kill us all day long, though we're like sheeps led to the slaughter. You remember these verses? We will not back down. We will not stop speaking of Christ. We will not turn away. Your satisfaction must be in Christ, in Christ alone. This is how we move in that direction. Romans 13, one through five, you can go ahead and go look at that. I'm not gonna go into that. What it basically says is that the authority that's over you is God-given. And I'm not gonna go down the political trail, but the president that we have right now has some issues that I don't agree with, has some things that I don't like, has some problems. But what I know that the Bible teaches is, is that he is in authority over me because God allowed it. And I need to pray for him. I need to seek his benefit. I need to seek for him to do what God is calling him to do and to be a man after God's own heart. And if he fails, that's between him and God. It's not like God's looking going, darn, I wish he wouldn't have got there. God's orchestrating this all. And for him to be there, it was meant for him to be there. And we need to come up under that authority. That's just the way it is. If you don't like it, all that has proven is that you have a prideful heart. I have a prideful heart. God is the one that grants authority. The, the next thing here is that no man should ever lead until he can properly follow no man should ever lead until he can properly follow. I don't care if you're talking about in your house, at your job, at your church. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Until you know how to follow, you have no business leading. Let's go to the scripture to prove that. It says, 
And so Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill uh, and, uh, with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While they went up to the top of the hill. You see, Joshua would later become the, uh, the one that takes Moses' place. He would be the one that replaced Moses to lead the people actually into the promised land. He was the agent of salvation. And Joshua could have very easily, because he was a very, a very powerful leader, he was a very strong leader, so he could have very easily looked at Moses and said, look, Moses, just let me handle this, okay? I'll go up on top of the hill. Don't worry about it. You just sit back. You're getting kind of old. Look at your long gray beard. I'll do this. I got this, brother. I got this, okay? He could have been a young, proud, arrogant, foolish young man, and I guarantee you they would have lost the, the victory. They would have lost that battle. Lost the battle. You see, the bottom line is until you know how to follow, you have no business leading. And I'll tell you this, within this church plant right here, as I was dealing, even with this might have been, I, I had issues other than this right here, but this revealed to me my problem with following. And I was, as I was talking to Chuck and as I was talking to Hambone during this kind of this tension in my life and trying to figure out who God's calling me to be and where I'm supposed to be going, I had a revelation that God said, you, you need to stop thinking 50 miles ahead without thinking of the one minute ahead. It's good to have a vision. It's good to, to know where you feel like God's wanting you to go. That's good. Without a vision, the people perish. You need to have that vision. But you also need to have a present tense active life in Christ right now. If you have dreams of becoming the, the CEO of your company or dreams of becoming the head of your divisions or whatever it is, if you have aspirations to that, let me tell you the quickest way not to become the CEO, not to become the manager, not to become the head guy is to not do what you're supposed to do where you are. The quickest way to get fired actually and you will not be able to be there. If you want to do and be in that place that you envisioned, you must do what God is calling you to do right now because it is part of the process to get you where you need to go. And so as I started to learn that and as I started to, uh, to uh, submit to that authority, I actually went to Chuck and I told Chuck, I said, I want to confess to you and I want to apologize. I have... And, and you wouldn't have known it looking from the outside in, but in my heart, I had been combative about the way things were going over there. And I told him, I said, I have not truly submitted my heart to your authority, and I want to confess that, and I want to apologize and ask you to forgive me. And I want to tell you that from now on, I am yours. I am your man. If you need me, I am here. I am Christ, but I am giving myself to you. What you need, I will do. I will be here for you. Let me know how I can follow and how I can pour in. And I want you to know, at that moment, the Lord changed that ministry over there. And I was leading a men's group and it exploded. And there was more men coming to that church through, not just it wasn't me, but it was just the people who were getting excited and God was moving. And you can ask Chuck, that, that was, he came to me and he said, Brandon, he said, I want you to know this is very encouraging because the men were moving. It wasn't just me, it was a sense of, of humbleness in the church in the church and the Lord, he granted growth and we started to move and it was a spirit in the place that was so wonderful. 
And that's when he put this vision in my heart to plant this church, more, more confirmed vision. Until we know how to follow, we cannot know how to lead. Now, that's not to say that I don't still struggle with issues of following. You see, because ultimately we must follow Christ. That's why you have to know how to follow. If you want to be the head of your house, then you must learn how to follow and allow Christ to be the head because he is the only one that's truly qualified to lead. We all have sins and we all fall short. Look to Christ. Follow Christ is the only way that you'll be able to lead anyone anywhere. So I'm continually praying that, Lord God, please help me. Uh, many of us are never satisfied with our role, and it hurts everyone. You see, if Joshua would not have been okay with his role and said, you got it, Moses, I'm, I'm, I'm on the way. You see, he could have looked and not been satisfied. I mean, I want you to think about it, and he it would have seemed legit. Because here it is, and Moses, who is, is commanding Joshua to go down into the valley, he says, you go down into the valley and you fight with Amalek and you risk your life, you risk your limb, you risk spilling blood on the battlefield, and me and Aaron and her, we're going to go up the hill out of harm's way, we're going to get out of the line of battle, we're going to get out of the line of sight, we're going to get out of the target area, we're going to go up the hill out of the way, we're not going to be as risky as you seemingly and I want you to go down and fight while I go up and get out of the way how hard how difficult would it have been for Joshua to look and say you're not even going to come fight with me you mean you're just going to tell me to go die but he didn't realize what Moses he did realize what Moses was going to do he could have fought against that he could have not have been satisfied with his role and he could have destroyed everything not went down not fought and ruined it all. The second thing I want to show you is there is clearly an e equal value for each role in this story. You see, that's what I was really just pointing to is that the fact that, that Joshua went down and fought, Moses went up to raise the staff, and Aaron and Hur came up to support him. If any one of those roles would have been dropped, if any one of those people who were in those roles would have said, you know what, I want his role and I'm not doing my role, then the whole battle would have been lost. Think about here in this church. You see, a lot of people look at this role and that role and say, I want to be over there, I want to be over there, I want to be over there. But you absolutely devalue your role. You devalue your role. You see, the first thing is you may not be seeing the value in your role because you are always devaluing it. You may not see the value in your role because you're always devaluing it. And what I mean by that is, is that if you're constantly sitting there going, this role stinks. I can't believe that this this is what I'm called to do. I wasn't made for this. I wasn't made to hold this door. I wasn't made to clean this toilet. I wasn't made for this. Well, you're the one that is causing that role to be so unvaluable. What if, you're, what if you changed? What if the role didn't change, but what if you changed? What if you bloomed where you were planted? What if you looked at your role and said, this is, this is not the role that maybe I would absolutely desire the most in my flesh, but you know what? I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to run. I'm going to go. I'm going to do, and it's going to be wonderful. And you pick your role, and you do it great, and you scrub that toilet, and it's shining. Bing. You go in, and you scrub those walls and those sinks in that bathroom, and you, you scrub even the door handle, and you say, you stand back, and you say, yes, sir. I might be a toilet cleaner, but I'm a doggone good one. Let me tell you this. This is a st statistic that John shared with me. The bathroom is one of the deciders 
of most women to whether they'll ever come back to that church again or not. Which is crazy because when I worked at Ingalls, the women's bathroom was always disgusting. They must have wanted people to go to Bala real bad. I say that seriously though. Let me tell you this, if everybody in this church would never have a complaining thought, now I know this is ideally, but if everybody in this church would do what they were called to do with, with fire and energy, and let me tell you something, you guys do. For the most part, I see people holding doors, I see people cleaning, I see people greeting, kid well. Let me tell you right now, a little kid well, it will knock your teeth out. But I see those guys smiling, and they're excited, and they're doing what they're doing, and they're loving it because they know that's where God has them. If we would all do that, if we would all go after God like that and, and be happy where we are and be excited about where we are, it would start to transform things around us. We need to be satisfied where we are because God has us there. You see, the victory could have not been won if, if, uh, if missing any of the components. Whenever Moses held his hands up, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. You see how everything works together for the greater good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. As we understand that God is working everything together for the greater good, we understand that what that means is not that he is working everything together so that you get a better job. He's not working everything together so that you would make more money. He's not working everything together so that you would not die from cancer. He is not working everything together so that you would, would have it easy in life. He is working everything together so that he might be glorified and his people would win the victory. You see, it's not about you, brother. It's not about you. Everybody wants to read that verse and say, God's got a better plan for me and I'm gonna have a lot of money. Oh no, you see, that's not how it be. God's got a plan to exalt himself and your blessing, it may be money, it may not. It may be a job, it may not. But I'll tell you what it is, if you know him, it's that you would not perish but that you would have ever, everlasting life. Now, for my favorite part of the sermon, you see, this is where most sermons would end, that I've seen, that I've seen. These are good principles that you can live your life on, that you need to be happy where you are, that if God wants you to have another role and grow and move and advance, you will, but that he's got you where you are and that you need to bloom where you're planted, that it takes every one of us to do the job as a whole and without one body part, we don't have a whole body. And that if we all work together, and that if we are all satisfied in Jesus Christ and not longing for our brother's wife, then we can all progress together and the victory will be ours. Now, I could leave you with that and say, now you get out there and you do it. But this is where we have to transition to the other part. Now, what have we done? The meaning of the text, how this applies to you, who you are, we gotta find the ultimate. We gotta find the ultimate. So many people leave out the ultimate. Let me show you what I mean. This cannot be coincidence, and as, as my brother Nate helps me, I wanna show you this because this is what it's about. The third is that there is clearly one main character 
of this story. You see, when I read the story the first time, you remember what I said? I said, Lord God, help me to be like Moses to raise my hands high so that everybody could be victorious. And then I said, Lord God, let me be like Aaron and let me grab a hold of the man that's beside me so that he might be victorious. And then the Lord said, that's not you. Why do you gotta be named? And so I pictured myself down on the battlefield and I tell you, I really wanted to maybe be Joshua too. Even in the good principles of the story, we say, Lord God, let me be Joshua and let me be okay with my role so that the victory could be won. Well, let me tell you that this story is not about you. This story is not about you. It's not about me. Are we in there? Yeah. We're in there, but none of us have the role that we think. We're always inserting ourselves into the place of prominence and into the place that is well-known and the place that has no struggles. That's the problem with American culture, isn't it? Lance and I were just talking about that this morning. He was telling me about a story. He said, you go to Uganda and you find a Christian in Uganda. You see, they don't, they don't say this stuff is good, but God is a little bit better. They say, God is everything. They say, Where do we, what are we going to eat today? What are we going to drink today? They're not complaining about they lost their job. They've never had a job. They're holding on to the fact that they have the one true God. You see, in this story, the one main character shines so bright. You see, years later after this story, we see Moses who would take the staff of God and take the wood and he would lift it high and he would walk it up the hill with a man on his right and a man on his left and he would look down into the valley on those that were fighting but could not win the victory. Years later, there would be another man who would take the wood across and he would hold it high as he marched up the hill. And when he got to the hill, he would hold the wood up so that we could win the victory. And not unlike Moses, he had a man on his right and he had a man on his left. And he would look down on those that could not win. You see, unlike Moses, he didn't have a friend on one side to take his hand and lift it up and say, I got you, brother. He didn't have a man on the other side to grab his arms and hold it up and say, I got you, brother. We're going to win this victory. He had a worse role, no support. But he would not give up on you. And so this man who knew the wood had to remain raised took and drove nails in his hand so that his hands could not fall until you won the victory. This is about Jesus. It's not about me and it's not about you. Jesus is even Joshua who marched into victory having faith that God raising the wood though it made no sense would save the people now how does all of this work together you say that's, that's pretty cool Brandon how you just showed this is no coincidence that Moses carried the wood up the hill like, like Christ carried it up Calvary it's no, it's no coincidence that he held it up 
And it said he had it in both hands, so it would have been this posture. That's no coincidence that it was like Christ on the cross. There's no coincidence that he looked down on the people. It's no coincidence that he had a man on his right and a man on his left. It's no coincidence. You say, well, what does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. Because if you don't get this, you don't get it all, and you will go out here and you will be absolutely demoralized because you cannot do anything I just told you to do. Because it is not done by the will of the flesh or the will of the mind, but by the will of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the reason it matters that we see this is that Jesus Christ is the completion of everything that we see in this text. He is the one that was okay with the lowest role. He was the one that was okay with being cast to the side. He was the one that was okay having God as the ultimate prize. And you see, the moment that you realize the reason that he was spread out on that cross, the reason that he nailed his left hand and he nailed his right hand was so that he could rescue you from utter failure and darkness because you could not win the victory. You could not keep the law. You could not do what needed to be done. So he did it for you. If you want to be victorious, then you must enter in through the victor, Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that he went to the cross and he died a murderous, humiliating death so that you could live a wonderfully blessed life and be pardoned from all your sins because he imparted his righteousness as he took your disgusting sin. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man can come to the Father but by me you want life it is in Christ and Christ alone without Christ exists death and that is it you have hope today I know you can't hold that stick up I know you can't march up that hill I know you get scared thinking of yourself as the soldier who sheds blood on the battlefield let me tell you now that you don't have to worry because Jesus did it for you. Now that is not to relieve us of our responsibility because what it does is transforms us into his reality. And we don't strive to hold up the stick. We don't strive to do battle. We don't strive to be the one because we're trying to earn his merit. We do it because we owe him our lives and we're glad to pay it take my life and use it for I have nothing but you and you alone you see when he told everybody he said I am the bread of life and whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have life bunches of people turned away but Peter gave the answer that I'm trying to instill in your heart today he looks at his disciples and he says will you go away too and Peter answers him and says where would we go? You alone have the words of life. Let no one ever say about this church or about our people that we do not proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's all we have. It's all we have. Outside of that is legalistic rituals that get you death. This morning, as we stand to our feet, I want to give you the opportunity not to 
not to do your job and repent of your sin. You don't deserve to be granted repentance and neither do I. But the book of Hebrews says, I pray God that you would grant me the opportunity to repent. Your faith does not belong to you. Your repentance does not belong to you. Your works do not belong to you, but it is the result of your submission and your rebirth into the God-man, Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to repent of your sin, an opportunity to surrender all, as the great hymn has said. We're going to do a song here in just a second, which is climbing the charts of my number one all-time favorite. Because you mean everything to me. Is Jesus all in all? Is it by him, through him, for him? When you read the Bible, do you see his face? He's all you got. He's all you got. Come, let's give glory to this good king who spared nothing to rescue these wretched souls in this room today. Isn't he a good God? Isn't he a good God? It's all about Jesus. Come and bow down and serve him.